Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your host, Desmond Johnson, here in the house, just kind of observing everything going on up and down Tobacco Road. With it being a Thursday episode, we'll get to around Tobacco Road here shortly, where we give you the latest news and sports from the ACC Big Four, as well as other colleges here along Tobacco Road, such as High Point, UNCG, North Carolina A&T, and much, much more. Before we get to that, however, uh, very pleased to have on the line a uh, first-time guest here at Franchise Players. She is a uh, prominent podcast host and sports writer here in North Carolina, Kiera Luck, joining the Franchise Players. What's going on, Kiera? How are you? I'm doing good, Desmond. How are you? Pretty good. Kind of, kind of nervous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Most, most of the people that listen to me on whatever platform it is, they know that I'm a diehard Carolina fan, and uh, we're kind of at this point now in the off season where. I don't know what to think about things that I'm hearing and coming out. And I, I decided I wanted to get a true Carolina insider on before the week was over. So I reached out to you to see if you're available and you were. Um, of course, the biggest news now this week, uh, Daron Sharp declaring for the NBA draft on Wednesday after fellow freshman big man Walker Kessler announced he's entering the transfer uh, portal. Fans are you know, afraid there's a quote unquote mutiny going on in Chapel Hill. What are you hearing in regards to the Carolina basketball program and the mass exoduses? Is there some sort of underlying theme here as to why people are talking about these guys leaving? Or is this just a matter of individually, you know, each guy has a, you know, a choice to make and they're just, they're all bunched up together. Yeah. um, I actually said this on the podcast today with uh, David Noel, um, whom I have a podcast with uh, called the play in the fan. Hmm. I, I think it's just, you know, this year was trial and error for everybody, you know, um, if this was ever a time for a player to decide, you know what, I'm not happy. I really have the opportunity to just get this year back at a totally different school in a different space where I'm happy. Then this was a year to do it. Um, and I, I think what fans really have to do at this moment is just breathe. You know, I'm a Carolina fan too. And it is kind of difficult to see, you know, people leaving such a prominent program, a program that for years has been at, you know, the top tier of of everything. And it's hard to even think that there's um, some challenges going on within the program, but you just have to trust the process and trust that, you know, um, kids who are leaving, um, that this is the best situation for both parties and that Coach Williams is always going to do right by these kids, whether it's whether they, you know, stay or go. So we just have to, you know, relax a little bit and just let things play out before we draw any conclusions. Follow Kiara on Twitter at Kiara underscore luck. Um, So let me walk you through my mentality (laughs) from Monday till uh, now. So Monday Walker declares he's going to the transfer portal. My immediate thought at the time was, oh, he must have some sort of, insider information that two of these these three big men are staying mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. would put him on the bench still 
and he wants to play. He was a, he was he was rated higher than uh, Dayron was. He 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 committed late, at, like almost a year after Dayron had already committed to Carolina. And I have to assume that when he committed, he thought there was a possibility that Baycott was going to be leaving last year. So that kind of stuff, I could see, you know. And then Kessler, of course, he visits the campus, falls in love with it, and so the story goes. That's you know how he ended up at Carolina. Um, then <laughs> uh, Wednesday happens, and Dayron declares. So then my mentality shifted from, oh, he must think he's going to be coming off the bench to this story that's floating around that the Carolina coaching staff sold Walker on being a stretch four. Mm. I don't I don't know how much I believe that because I've watched Carolina basketball for my entire life. The only time I can ever remember them really, really having a stretch four in their offense is here recently with Luke May. And that was because he was six foot eight. Like if they can run two big men like they want to, they're going to run two big men. They're not they're not really a stretch for offense. So. What what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? How truthful is that statement that Carolina uh, actually pitched to Walker Kessler that he would become a stretch four in the system that doesn't really have a stretch four in it? I I, I don't because, to my knowledge, um, and I, I'm pretty close with a lot of the players, uh, former players, and one thing they've always said to me is that the one thing Coach Williams does whenever he's on recruiting trail, he doesn't promise you anything. <laughs> that's, right. that's one thing like there are no promises whenever you come into this program and um i think that for any kid whenever you just have these high expectations and it, with any program doesn't necessarily have to be carolina um, but whenever you have these high expectations and things don't go as planned um and you you really have the opportunity especially again this year to kind of make the necessary changes you do so and I, I don't want anyone to think that, um, uh, how do I say it? Um, I, I just don't want anyone to think that this was any one particular fault that caused, you know, Walker Kessler to leave. This wasn't just something that, you know, he thought of overnight. And since they had a bad season, okay, well, let's just up and leave, you know. Nine times out of ten, this is something that he's probably thought of, you know, throughout the year or, you know, the, within a couple of weeks or, you know, a few months. So I think people just really have to, again, trust the process and, you know, uh, coach Williams, to my understanding, you know, never promises anything, you know, out of his reach, you know, you come into practice, you do what you're supposed to do and you're rewarded with playing time. He, he said that throughout the season, mm-hmm. my playing time is determined on what you do in practice and, and how that translates on the court. So um, I, I think that maybe, you know, just expectations is you no, know, just weren't met and that's okay. You know, it's, it's okay. You know, we, we move on and we grow from it. Right. Exactly. And you know, I always thought it was funny because the narrative for, uh, ABCers out there for the past, I don't know, five or six years, maybe, well, really since the one and done era began was that Roy couldn't recruit that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the recruiting had passed him by and that, you know, maybe he needed to change his game up. He gets a, a, a class that's a top three class that comes in here, <laughs> you know, where over half the rotation is freshmen. Right. And now and now the now I'm seeing like ABC years and some Carolina fans really going into it like, oh, well, Roy should have known better to recruit so many good players. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, come on, what are you what are you doing? Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that he can't recruit good players. And then turn around and say, well, he's got too many good players right. and he should have known better to do you know, something different. Uh, one of those good players, Armando Baycott, Armando Baycott Sr. has made some outraising comments on Twitter over the past week, uh, along with Caleb Love's dad as well. 
Um, Armando himself just mentioned just a week or so ago uh, at the time it was almost in passing. Uh, I think it was in a post game presser where he basically said that, you know, Roy knows how to get underneath his skin. Uh, he knows how to kind of push him. I think it was during one of those games where, you know, Armando came out after halftime uh, guns blazing and, and, and really showed what he could do, mm-hmm. but he's, he's always seemed to me the type that needs to be prodded that he needs to be pushed to get to that point. He doesn't start off uh, that way. At this point, with everything we know, as of this taping, Baycott would be the de facto leader of the 2021-22 Tar Heels. He'd be a junior. He'd be the big man on campus, literally, uh, if he stays. How much do you think it hurts the Tar Heels if Baycott leaves as well? And what would Roy's plan B actually be? Uh, I think it'll hurt a lot. And I say that only because experience right because that's the one thing coach Williams absolutely loves if he could have anything in his entire world all of his kids would stay four years and be that experienced team they'll be that Wisconsin team that has the average of 22 year old players right that's the one thing coach Williams (laughs) loves like he loves experience and to see Armando Baycott leave I think would be incredibly hurtful um I, I don't want to say it would be detrimental to the program but I do think you know it would you know make you you know give a quick side eye like like okay what's going on to the point that Armando you know doesn't want to stay mm-hmm. now the only way that I see Armando leaving he would have to declare I don't see Armando leaving and going to a completely different school to start completely over right I think that would be probably a a really big hit to his career i think he stays and you know works it out get the kinks out and you know come next year guns blazing um i'm glad i'm gonna say i'm glad you mentioned that because that thought has been in my head really for the really this entire week regarding armando because uh on one hand he's a big he's a traditional back to the basket post player in today's college basketball how many teams can you name before landing on Carolina that still plays through the big man? You know, yeah. there's really, there's really only a handful. So yeah. at, at that point, it's like, okay, there's only a handful out there out of 300 plus schools. Everyone's playing outside in right now. The, the Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, James Harden type game. Carolina still plays the traditional, you know, two big men play volleyball with the basketball type of <laughs> ball. So yeah. it's like, where else would you go? Like if you were yeah. going to transfer someplace, who's going to put you in a better situation to get drafted as that type of player, literally when you're seeing, you know, the guy that just played beside you that just walked in the door eight months ago, he's leaving for the draft. And the other guy that's that's in the transfer portal, he's probably going to get drafted in a year or two himself. And both of them came to Carolina first. So to me, it was always the same way. I agree with you that if Baycott decides to do something, it may be he may be decided to go pro. And then you have to kind of look at all these decisions, n- not individually, but all together, because for Carolina fans, we expected Armando to leave last year. We thought it was a possibility he could go then. So why would we be shocked if he left this year after staying an extra year and getting better? Like we said he should do, (laughs) you know, like it's just the mentality. I think I'm mad at Carolina fans right now because I think a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) I think Carolina fans are overreacting. We finally got it. (laughs) I think that's where it is. I had to talk it out. I had to talk it out to realize who my anger (laughs) should be directed towards. And it's us. I'm mad at us. I'm mad at the family because I think we're so worried of becoming Duke in terms of, every year having to relearn the team as mm. fans. Cause that's mm. something that I've dreaded for the longest and Roy has fought against it for the longest. And some of that was, you know, induced by the NCAA investigation and everything else where they couldn't get those guys to come. Now that all that's gone, they've won a title since then. 
you know, the, the stinks off. Roy starting to get those top 10 kids again. And they're leaving because that's what top 10 kids do after a year right, or two. Right. And I think Carolina fans have gotten so spoiled on the the Roy approach of what he had to do under the investigation, which right. was basically bringing kids like Marcus Page, Bryce Johnson, uh, JP Dakota, like guys, guys who were solid four star kids that weren't going to leave after one year. They were going right. to be there two, three years and and seeing the growth of Page. And especially seeing the growth of Bryce Johnson. Bryce Johnson, by senior year, was a, a damn monster. Yes, like, yes. And, and that was grown from being at Carolina for four years. So I think Carolina fans just seem to think that it's always going to be this way. But they always want to know why Roy can't get the the Zion Williamson or the the uh, the Cam Reddish or the, the, the Jill Okafor. Like guys that they expected would come to Carolina. Like why they can't get them. And now Roy's starting to do that. Like with Kessler, Kessler had Duke on his final list Yeah, they, and they flipped him to Carolina. So like Roy's doing these things that they've asked for him to do. Yeah. For the, and now they're mad because it's actually happening all at once. It's just, it's kind of crazy to me. I'm sorry. That's a little vent part. I just had to get that out. No, <laughs> while no, I was there. no. Because yeah. I mean, you said you're a Carolina fan. I mean, are you feeling these kind of feelings like watching from afar? Cause I see you tweet out stuff. And I can tell when you're tweeting some stuff that there's more you want to say, <laughs> but you don't want to yeah, say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's the, the good and bad part, you know, just being mindful of certain things. Um, whenever, you know, my sources tell me things, you know, I I always put my, my sources and the players above anything else. And, and whether that makes me a horrible you know, reporter, I'll take that because yeah. the trust that I've built is, is super important to me. And that's something that I, I never want to burn a bridge. And um, as a fan, you know, you also, you know, want to be mindful of the program, you know, because I grew up loving this team. You know, I, I grew up um, – being a, a Jordan fan and having the Jordan, you know, Chicago Bulls coded and learning his history and mm. and being proud that he's from North Carolina and, and seeing, you know, Antoine Jameson just causing uproar whenever he comes into the Dean Center and Vince mm. Carter. Like you see how much these players love Carolina and and the pride that they have when they talk about it. And so as a fan, it's incredibly difficult to see, you know, players just kind of um not joining in that legacy because you're thinking we have Vince Carter, we have Michael right. Jordan. Why <laughs> wouldn't you want to be a part of this? I am a Tar Heel Nation. Like, what is it about us that you don't like? Like, we're the best. And it's something that David Noel said today on the podcast that um, really stood out to me. As Carolina fans, our baseline is championships. Right. Like th there is no let's just get to the, the sweet 16. Let's just make the tournament. No, it's championship or bust every single year. And, um, you know, it is difficult to kind of go through these rough years and figuring everything out. And, you know, um, seeing Roy adjust um, his 18 years here, um, we've seen kind of the steadiness of, of Coach Williams and to kind of see a rise of him, you know, growing through adversity at 70 years old, he's having to change so much about himself and adapt to kids, you know, who can just up and leave, you know, there is no more, you know, let's go through adversity. You hear about uh, Joel Berry who thought about leaving Danny green thought about leaving Jawad Williams thought about leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brandon Robinson thought about leaving. I mean, it's, it's not far fetched that these Carolina players wanted to leave 
um, because it is tough um, because Carolina is, is, is no joke. It's play hard, play smart, play together. That's it. The Carolina right. way. We don't take um, cupcakes around here. No, like if you can't no. deal with it, then you're not going to play. Absolutely. And um, yeah. So as a fan, it's just, it's incredibly difficult, but I, I do admire coach Williams um, learning who he is as a professional and, and seeing how dedicated he is to these kids. Like it's, it's unmatched. You know, I've seen him cry. I've seen him be emotional. You see the wear on his face whenever team, his team loses, um, but he doesn't have the answers. You see it on his face, how frustrated he is and, and how much blame he takes and how much he eats it. Um, and to see it as a fan, um, especially in person, it can, it can be heartbreaking because I posted a video of him talking about how much this team um, means to him. And as I was listening to him in the crowd, I was trying not to get emotional and cry. Oh. <laughs> because it's like, as a fan, you know, it's just like, God, coach, like, yes, yeah. this is the thing that you want to hear. He gets me like so, that sometimes, too. I'm like, oh, Roy, don't go down that road with me yeah. right now. <laughs> but, you okay. know, you, you just... You just have to, you know, take the punches and, and, you know, just, you just have to grow. And, and, and as a fan, I get it. Like we're deeply rooted in history. This isn't Gonzaga where winning is brand new to us. No, we're used to a certain pedigree, but you just, you have to trust that the right things will be done. Is a program perfect? No, no program is absolutely perfect. Um, but coach Williams is an absolute great person. And he is going to do the right thing at the end of the day. On the line with us, Carolina Insider, podcast host, sports writer, Kiara Luck, uh, joining the franchise players. Caleb Love really never got comfortable trying to learn the point guard position for North Carolina. Um, I think what a lot of like like Carolina fans don't really understand is that Caleb Love wasn't a natural point guard when he came in. Like He was more of a score shooting guard. Uh, along with RJ Davis, same kind of boat where neither one of them are really like point guards. And to go from being like just a scorer at your high school to being point guard for North Carolina, I tell people all the time, there's certain positions in sports that I kind of hold to a higher level, like of, of just status quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, starting pitcher for the New York Yankees, mm. point guard for North Carolina. Like literally mm -hmm. when they have a point guard that understands the system, and because the point guard is the engine for this Carolina offense, when they have the right point guard, everything else falls in place. It looks great. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it looks impossible to guard in terms of, you know, try to stop this team from from not scoring over 80 points, falling out of bed. How many times have we heard that about random Carolina teams over the years? Every single one of those Carolina teams had a point guard that knew what they were doing and probably had a little bit of experience sprinkled in there uh, in order to be able to run the show. We didn't have that this year, and it showed, which is why Carolina never even won more than, you know, I think more than a three-game win streak was the longest they had all season long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How do you think early defections to the NBA, like Nasir Little, Kobe White, and Cole Anthony in particular, primarily I'm kind of looking at Kobe White more. How do you think that's affected Roy's recruiting? Because I know he – he Roy doesn't really recruit like like the way Kay has recruited the past decade. Kay's kind of recruited in like a 12-month cycle. Like I'm gonna have these guys out of these guys. Three of them are probably leaving, you know, after the season. I'm gonna have to replace them, and it's just a constant every year type of thing. Roy seems like he recruits based off of a three or four year cycle. Like he'll he'll have a big class, and then he'll add to that class the next year, and then by the time he gets to that third year, if most of those guys have stayed, 
they're typically sniffing around being a national championship contender. Even the Harrison Barnes, uh, Kendall Marshall squad, by the time they got to 2011, 2012, when, you know, Barnes, it came back and uh, Zeller came back for senior year and everything, they were considered a national championship contender. And they, that, that team was built in the same way. The 2017 championship team was built in the same way. And it felt like that that's what Roy was doing with this, that this freshman class that came in was the base or the foundation. And then next year, you're going to have, you know, Dontrez Styles and DeMarco Dunn come in. They'll probably pick up another guy. Now they're going to need a center. Maybe a well, the point guard. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to have that coming in. I, I've, we've had Keyshawn Silver on uh, the network uh, recently. We, I, I'm hearing he's probably going to walk on and play basketball as well. So you you got some bodies kind of coming back the other way. And then you have the transfer portal out there also. But do you think that these early defections, especially Kobe, who no one thought was going to leave early when he first arrived at Chapel Hill, do you think that's kind of messed up a little bit in terms of what Roy was – thinking he was going to have, and now he's having to adjust on the fly out in recruiting? That's a, that's a good question. I think so. I Because no one knew Kobe would be this special. And mm-hmm. he is in, incredibly special. He was someone from Goldsboro who I'm sure at least a three-year kid, right? And right. he comes and has this monstrous year. Um, and the funny thing is, the story about Kobe, he didn't want to leave. Yeah, I'd heard yeah. that also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, that he Roy had to kind of leave. push him out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that's something that a lot of people don't know because a lot of people are quick to say Coach Williams holds kids back. You know, mm-hmm. they he holds back their minutes so that they don't flourish too soon or, you know, so they don't leave. But Kobe wanted to stay. Marvin Williams wanted to stay. Coach Williams told them to go. Yeah. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, and... You know, when you get a a special talent like Kobe White and you saw that the type of relationship they built in the year, I can only imagine how difficult it was for Coach to tell Kobe to leave because he knew that this kid cannot stay. Like, you really killed it this year. Unexpectedly, you blew all of our minds. He went all the way to Chicago to see him play. You don't really see that too often, Coach Williams going out to, you know, all the way out to Chicago. You're right, um, yeah, to see a former player. player. Yeah. yeah, you're right, yeah. So um, you, you do have to think that Kobe leaving definitely kind of threw a wrench in things. But um, I I don't want to say it was that detrimental, though, you know, Um well, I kind of look at it more like like with the class that just came in. He didn't have a yeah. point guard in the whole class. It's like all wings and post guys, and yeah. So, but um, Caleb, the, and I said this a lot, and people thought I was kind of crazy because I always thought <laughs> Caleb should play the two. RJ to me should have always been point. And RJ, this is RJ's team next year. I don't care what nobody I agree. says. I totally agree. RJ is going to be something incredibly special for Carolina, and to me his career is going to look something like a Marcus page in, in the space that coach Williams missed that extension of him, that Joel Berry, that, you know, Bryce Johnson, Marcus page, um, uh, Danny Tyler, all of that extension mm-hmm. on the court. He wasn't present. And I think RJ can definitely be that for this team next year. Um, I think he's going to be a beloved player coming into the next season and um, RJ should have had point this entire season to me, or it should have been leaky. 
Leaky, I think, could have easily been point and maybe made an adjustment with RJ and, and Caleb. Caleb, from what I saw um, and read, according to, you know, reading his YouTube, um, not reading his YouTube, but watching his YouTube videos, he just learned point guard a few years ago. So this isn't his natural position. He's always, like you said, been a shooter. Mm-hmm. So when you're at, you know, point guard university, which is North Carolina, it's always, you know, pass first, you know, yep. it's Kobe to me was one of the few point guards that literally had a mile to work with. He was definitely the one rare point guard under Roy Williams, who you saw with extra wiggle room that other point guards didn't have. But um, I, I do think that the point guard position at UNC threw Caleb off. You know, being pass first, making sure you're creating shots for other people. That's your priority. Your priority isn't to come down and shoot. Your priority is to create for your other teammates. And I do think that kind of threw him off a little bit. I I totally agree with that assessment. Uh, I agree with you with RJ Davis as well. I I felt like there was too many uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, I I guess you could say, with that position. Because literally they feel like they had like seven shooting guards on this team. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I agree with you with Caleb Love. He's 6'4". People say it's undersized, but I mean, Dwayne Wade was the same size. I mean, he would have been a he would have fit great there. I think the number one issue with this team was that like you like you highlighted with Kobe, Kobe had the luxury of having like upperclassmen. Yeah, he, he didn't have to be the leader. Luke May was leader of that team. Cam Johnson was leader of that yeah. team. So, you know, they, he didn't have to worry so much about thinking about all this other stuff. Plus, making sure he's an extension of Coach Williams on the court, he, he could just go out there and hoop. And yeah. we uh, actually called. I did play by play for the. Um, uh, it was a charity event he was in uh, the Josh Level Classic here in Greensboro the year before he arrived at Carolina. So it was, I guess, it was the spring going into the summer before he arrived. And I swear, Kiara, he was like six <laughs> one, literally at that game. He scored forty points. Like he he dropped it on the Langley Twins and like. He was doing it was my first introduction to him. And I was like, oh wow, he's going to Carolina. He's gonna be pretty good. Kind of short, but he's gonna be pretty good. We get to August or September or whatever, and the dude has grown like four inches. <laughs> like he's like six five or something at that point. And then by the end of that year, it was like kind of the same feeling we had with Dayron Sharp as Carolina fans. It was like, man, I wish we could keep him. He's too good to stay. Like, we're not yeah. gonna be able to keep this kid. Yeah. So the sharp news didn't really come as a surprise. Not, not as much, not as much as a gut punch as Walker transferring out. And uh, hopefully some more of that stuff will start to drip out so we can kind of get a little bit more deeper into what's going on with that. This has been great. I- I've enjoyed having you on. Tell tell everyone about your new podcast. Uh, I know you've got a new one with the uh the ABF network uh called Real Sports Heroes. Tell us a little bit about that before I let you go. Yeah, so uh Real Sports Heroes is dedicated to just exploring um the the title of being more than just an athlete um you know there's definitely more to these athletes than meets the eye they're in your communities um they're uh doing more than just playing basketball football baseball hockey whatever um they're actually humans and so my goal has always been has always been to humanize athletes and make them seem more approachable more attainable that you know we have to be um, a little bit softer towards these athletes and not so um, harsh and uh, scrutinize every single thing we do. And I'm honored to be in a space with ABF Creative and telling these stories and um, helping you know fans understand that uh, athletes are humans too. And these are things that they go through and these are the things that they're trying to do. And this is why they use their platforms for, for certain things. And um, 
one of the important things that I definitely want to highlight on Real Sports Heroes, um, especially uh, race and politics, um, in destroying the notion that athletes can't have a mind in those spaces and understanding that with these platforms, they absolutely need to be heard and they need to be voiced and we need to listen. Um, Shut up and play doesn't sit well with me and <laughs> it never will. Um, so I, I'm very proud of this podcast and I'm completely honored that they asked me to lead it. And um, I am, I'm just, I'm just excited and, and hope that going forward uh, people listen and they listen with their hearts and uh, hopefully it changes their minds about just exactly what an athlete is. Well, you definitely gain a subscriber in me. I'll definitely make sure to subscribe there. Uh, I've been following your work for a while now. Glad we finally got a chance to, uh, to sit down and, and kick it. And uh, definitely if you're a Carolina fan and you're on clubhouse, go check out uh, Kiara and BDOT's uh, clubhouse for Carolina fans. I don't know what the rules are with getting in or if there's a password or anything. And only, the only reason why I'm not in there is because I'm still team Android. I don't have an iPhone. So I, I, I don't have what? a way. <laughs> I told Brian. So it's, for those who don't know, it's called Heels House and it is a safe space that Brian and I created for uh, Carolina fans space. to cheer and grieve. But I told him, I was like, bro, we need to really like get on locker room. Yeah. Um, because locker room is, is a space for everybody. You don't necessarily need an invite and it's, it's more inclusive. Um, so we definitely, uh, more me more. So I'm looking into transferring it out of clubhouse and okay. into locker room. So that way everyone can join. Cause I really feel yes. like we're missing so there's, much. More. There's a whole half of the audience. Exactly. Yeah. That y'all can't get exactly. to. And I've been hearing all this fun y'all are having in there and everything. And I'm, I feel like I'm standing we, outside on the sidewalk, like, oh man, I can't get in. <laughs> so <all."> we've had, <laughs> uh, Brendan Haywood's been in there. Jawad Williams, Shamad Williams, um, Nasir Little, uh, Kenny Williams and Brandon Robinson. It's literally their group. Also their staples in the group. Uh, of course, David Noel, the third, um, we've had uh, some Duke, some Dukies come in there. Nolan wow. Smith has been in there. Um, Nolan actually came in the night that it was announced that Duke was um, out of the ACC tournament and kind of oh, gave wow. us some backstory. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, who else has been in there? Um, Trent Forrest from Florida State has been in there. Um, a couple of Wake Forest, uh, Brandon Childress. So the whole ACC has been in the Hills House, and it's nice. been. It's been phenomenal. Um, and if you can't get on Hill's house, um, I do have a podcast with uh, 05 national champion, David Noel III, um, and former Tar Heel. And to hear him tell it, he is definitely responsible for the 09 championship. <laughs> um, because oh he coached God. all of them into being <laughs> the player that they were there to is. accomplish the 09 championship. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, any Tar Heel fan, definitely listen to that podcast. David is, um, he's very blunt. He's honest. Um, and he holds uh, no no bars when it comes to uh, Carolina and the things that need to change, the things that he loves, and um, just ACC basketball, period. So, yeah. So, okay. So, when you move, when you move that... Uh that group out into the locker room, definitely message me, hit me up, let me know. And uh, I'll be there with my, my Willy Wonka golden ticket and everything and try That's to hilarious. come in there and <laughs> help out. I'm telling you, I see it all the time. I'm like, Oh man, they're in there having fun. And 
I can't do anything about it, but <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to end it there. Uh, lots of good stuff here from Kara Luck. Follow her on Twitter. Like, you know, she's, a, she's a busy, busy person. Definitely follow her. If you're a Carolina, uh, Tar Heel fan at Kiara underscore luck right there. Kiara, appreciate you coming on the franchise players. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry. I didn't say the name of the podcast, but it's a player and the fans. So, yeah, a player and the fans. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Awesome. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna subscribe to that right now. So, <laughs> uh, I got I got some homework. I gotta go uh, check out you all do. this stuff here. Yeah. You so do. I'll go check all this stuff out. You guys stick around. Franchise players will be back in just a bit. Welcome back to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Believe in Panthers podcast, uh, the podcast I typically host with Tyrone Poole in season. Uh, back with some mini episodes here uh, starting this week. Um, and actually for se- this very first uh, episode that we'll have for the 2021 season, Eric Summers on the line with me here, Cat Scratch Reader editor. You can find their work over at catscratchreader.com. If you're a Panthers fan, definitely bookmark it and check them out. Eric, what's going on this morning? Uh, everything's good. How you doing, Desmond? Pretty good, man. Pretty busy, as have our Panthers been as well. They've been super busy over the past week or so, bolstering that defensive squad via free agency. Uh, on defense, uh, ESPN currently projecting the front uh, line for the Panthers' 4-3 base defense would be the newly signed Hassan Reddick, Mike Penasuic at defensive tackle, second-year top pick Derek Brown at DT, and emerging star uh, Brian Burns at the opposite uh, side at DE. Uh, Yatur Matos-Gross, Marquise Haynes, newly signed Morgan Fox, and defensive tackle Bravion Roy would would fill out that that rotation. How good can this defensive line be for starters, Eric? Well, I got to tell you, I feel a lot better about it now than I did two weeks ago. Uh, it, it was very thin, and we were missing some players that I felt to be legitimately placed correctly. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we're talking about a unit that could be one of the best in the NFC South. Um, I really like the additions they made. I really, especially it's, it's, it's maybe not the biggest name of the bunch, but I really like the addition of Morgan Fox. I like that he can play end and I like that he can play the three technique. Um, he's going to be somebody that we missed really heavily last season. As soon as Kwan short went out for the year. And of course had a, another shoulder surgery. Um, when, when, as soon as Kwan short left the lineup, we didn't really have a true three technique. We had, three nose tackles on the roster. Um, so now we've got somebody who actually has some pass rushing ability or can be moved off to the end. Uh, the, the same way we moved F.A. Obata inside last year, and it wasn't a great fit. Uh, F.A. could play at that position, but he quite often in the run game is getting bullied, and Morgan Fox has a little bit more substance and mass to him and has proven out in L.A. that he'd be a little bit harder to move off his spot. So I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of Morgan Fox at uh, that under tackle role, tackle role than people are talking about right now. Um, as far as the bookends, I really think we're going to see less four, uh, three this year. I think we're going to see more three man fronts. We're going to see a four, two, five stack. We're going to see three, three fives. Uh, we're going to see the traditional three, four. Um, I think Burns will continue to put his head in the dirt or his hand in the dirt on the regular, but I think Hassan Reddick is going to do most of his rushing from an outside linebacker spot. And whether you put him on the same side as Burns or you put him on the opposite side as Burns, you're creating a huge mismatch for the offense 
you're going to have to keep tight ends in close on a regular basis, or there's just no way that both tackles are going to win that matchup each time. Let's stay with the defensive line real quick. And you mentioned something that actually drove me kind of batty last year. And that was that three, three, five scheme that uh defensive coordinator, Phil snow was running. It, it felt like sometimes they, they went into some battles outmatched outgunned and they would use that three, three, five. They had a stretch last year in the, in the season where they literally, they were playing like a, a former league or Super Bowl MVP like every week for like five or six weeks straight from Tom Brady to Pat Mahomes to Drew Brees. And it felt like they would go back to that 335 just to have extra defenders back there in the secondary. Do you think that was more due to just being undermanned in terms of talent with the the defensive uh guys we had last year or is that a philosophy that you really think that Phil Snow is going to attempt to continue to do as he gets more uh talent infused into this defense is that three three five something that's uh, a base that you're, you expect us to see more often or was that something that we were just seeing last year because we you know couldn't you know do anything else right right i, I think i think it's something we are going to try to see a little bit more often and now we'll have better personnel to do it so last year it was a it was a crime of necessity right so we weren't good at the linebacker positions uh we weren't good in the back end so we just needed more bodies back there uh, they put a lot of emphasis on stopping the big play, and the result, of course, was giving up a lot of you know eight to ten yard uh, regular plays, which of course isn't great either. But they did succeed in not giving up the big play quite so often. I think this year, especially with the addition of uh, Perriman at a middle linebacker, we finally have three linebackers that I would say work well in a three-three-five. Although I think Perriman will spend most of his time on the field on rundowns. He's he's still pretty good in coverage. He's definitely better than to hear Whitehead in every shape or form. Um, but I think we now have a little bit better personnel to look at for the 3-3-5. I still would prefer um, most schemes to have us a little bit more front heavy, like a 3-4 base. Um, I think as as often as we can get to the quarterback, we shouldn't be we shouldn't divest what are still our strongest positions, which is Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick, both of those guys should be in a position to rush the quarterback on passing downs. It doesn't matter what you think they're going to try to do or what the situation is. Both of them, neither should be dropping back. Both should be going after the quarterback every single time. Uh, let's actually let's stay right there with Hassan Reddick, uh, who was probably the biggest splash that the Panthers made uh, in free agency last week, uh, a defensive end to complement Burns on the opposite side. I saw a... Um, a Twitter video from a, a good friend at Tobacco Road, John Ellis, that you guys had uh, on that article that actually that you were writing about the additions, where he literally had like a, a play for Burns and a play for Reddick, like side by side. They look like mirror opposites. Oh, well, not mirror opposites, uh, like mirror images of each other in terms of how they were rushing the quarterback and getting there. Uh, pretty breakneck speed. Do they have the potential in your mind to be a top duo of defensive ends, you know, in terms of uh, sacking the quarterback? not just in the NFC South, but across the league, uh, something that we really haven't had in Carolina since, I don't know, maybe Charles Johnson and Hardy and Johnson. Yeah. yeah. So it's been, and that was, wow, that was going on like five years ago. So, I mean, it's been a while since we've had talent at both sides of defensive uh, in, although when you really look back over the history of the Panthers, it feels like that's kind of always been a philosophy to have two guys that can get to you from off the edge. Uh, so let's talk about the potential of the Reddick and Burns, pairing together how much will having reddick on one side help burns on the other because he was starting to see a lot of double teams towards the end of the year 
Well, it's going to make it so that teams are going to be less able to spread the field against us. I think you're going to have to see if Reddick is getting to the quarterback early and often next season, you're going to see a lot of teams play two tight ends against us most of the time, which of course is going to limit their ability to go deep. Um, I think, I think it's going to, so the great thing about Reddick and of course the great thing about Burns is they're two of the fastest players to get to quote unquote the spot uh, every single time that they rush the quarterback, whether that means they actually put a hit on the quarterback or they just get an arm out and influence the quarterbacks, you know, influence what the quarterback wants to do in the pocket. Um, you know, we call we would call that stat of pressure. Usually um, it's, it's a really good way to get inside a quarterback's head doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how long they've been in the league. If you feel that a guy is always around you all the time, it's going to affect your perception of when you can throw the football and who's open. And it's going to lead to mistakes, as it did last year, and I think as it will even more this year when you've got two guys that are just as fast getting to the spot. I still think that Reddick will be in the best situation if we're trying to not put him on a defensive tackle and, or not a defensive tackle, an offensive tackle. And uh, it was proven the reason he had less sacks in his earlier years in Arizona is they were making him line up as a traditional DE more often. And he was matched up against tackles. He had a lot more success when he was split out wide and had to face tight ends as opposed to tackles. And that's what we saw against the giants last year when he, uh, when he basically, he, I'm sure Daniel Jones is still up at night thinking about what Hassan Reddick did to him. Uh, five sacks, yeah. two fumbles. I mean, just just a ridiculous game. Um, but it, it's very exciting. I think it's going to be very tough to stop no matter who the offense is. Uh, you're just asking a lot of your tackles and your tight ends, and they're just simply not going to win as often as you'd want them to. Eric Summers joining us here. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Tater596, Cat Scratch Reader, Editor-in-Chief. Uh, How would you rate the overall additions to the defense for new general manager Scott Fitterer coming over from Seattle? It feels like all of the, deems, uh, all the, uh, the deals that they signed were extremely team-friendly cap deals, like short, uh, short deals, no long-term commitments, one-year, two-year type deals. Uh, what does that tell you regarding the front office philosophy of these current uh, Carolina Panthers? Well, it tells me that they're looking a little bit toward the future from a salary cap perspective. They don't want to get tied into anything. Uh, they're not sure how competitive they'll be next year. Uh, it's all going to depend on their ability to get a quarterback or not. Um, so I think that says to me that they want to keep their options open beyond 2021 and start looking more so toward 2022. Uh, there's a chance that the team could be exceptionally good next year. It really depends on what we can acquire at quarterback and how quickly they can acclimate. But um, I think it says to me mostly that they're they're going to see who if they can find people that fit. They're going to see if they can move people around a little bit more often and see if they latch on fast. Um, and they're going to give guys who maybe don't love their market value as far as getting a long-term deal right now and Reddick is a perfect example of this, uh, they'll be able to bring them in on a contract that doesn't, doesn't necessarily pay them what their talent is worth, but it gives them a chance to prove themselves. And if they prove themselves, then Carolina will get that first crack at giving them that long-term deal as the team that they're already on versus them walking. If, you know, if they get too expensive, then they walk away in free agency and they don't leave us with all that dead money. So I think it speaks to a difference in philosophy versus what Herney did 
which was more long-term guaranteed money, which can work, um, but often in the NFL doesn't. Usually a guy is going to have a bad injury at some point or his production is going to fall off and you have that long-term deal with them. So you end up with a ton of dead money when you have to release them in favor of a better player. So far, I really like what the philosophy I've seen from Fitterer is. Um, and I don't think anybody has any really arguments about the defensive signings. I know some people have some arguments against the offensive linemen we signed. I disagree with most of those arguments. I think both of them were good signings. But overall, been very impressed with what Fitterer has done so far. And I think you have to be pretty happy with his job to this point. Let's uh, let's move a level back uh, into the, the linebacking core here. Talking Panthers uh, defensive changes here with Eric Summers from Cat Scratch Reader. ESPN and a lot of other uh, outlets still have Jeremy Chin listed as a starting weak side linebacker for the Panthers. Do you expect being a Panthers insider, do you expect Chin to settle in at linebacker or safety eventually for the Panthers? Well, I don't think there's any reason to necessarily put a, a, a label on him. I think we're going to change it up based on what we want to do. I think we're, we're going to have him play a, a rover role, I would say. You know, I think his primary position might very well be safety now, but I think he's going to be out there. doesn't matter what the, what the scheme is or what the alignment's going to be. He's going to be out there, and it may be either as a, a safety or a linebacker or as just that guy, which is what the rover role is you're essentially trusting a guy who's hyper-athletic and has good instincts like he does to pick his spot on the field where he, think he'll make, where he thinks he'll make the best impact and uh, just to go with it. And I think giving him that sort of flexibility is going to result in even more playmaking from him. Uh, obviously, he had an amazing rookie season. you got to think he's only going to get better. Uh, obviously, he's in the Panthers' long-term plans, uh, and he's making a – he's making a pretty strong impact on the league as a whole. So uh, I think we'll end up listing him as a safety. I think most often, especially since we let go of Trey Boston, uh, he will be lining up high. But uh, I would not be surprised on certain certain alignments to see him walk up a little closer to the line of scrimmage. I think we'll see a lot of safety blitzes. Um, he's just a versatile player, and I think that's – that's obviously something that we have valued since Matt Rule has come here, and we continue to value uh, in the second year with Rule and Fitter GM. There's a lot of players who obviously have some position versatility. That's going to allow us to make less substitutions, and it's going to make it harder on the offense to plan for what these guys are going to do. Uh, one of the additions that Scott Fitterer brought in, and again, Scott Fitterer put in work uh, last week, uh, almost like a surgeon in terms of plucking guys that they wanted uh, without having to spend a whole lot of money. And the, and the Panthers came into the free agency period with about $29, $30 million in salary cap room. So they had some some bucks to actually play with. I want to talk about the addition of Denzel Perryman because I'm actually really – I'm more, I think, geeked about adding him yes. than almost anyone else that they added just for what he does and, and just knowing what the Panthers lacked last year, which was a, a really strong run defense. Um, let's talk about ad adding him to the linebacking core along with Shaq Thompson and Jeremy Chin. What made the Panthers go after him, in your opinion, and what's his top quality as a defender? Well, the thing that I love about Perriman, he is just – he is hungry. That man, that man wants to eat, um, and, I, and I love it. Uh, the way he plays the game, he's tough as nails. Unfortunately, he hurts himself somewhat often uh, because he hits so hard, but uh, he is very committed. He's very good at play recognition. 
um, he'll be able to see what's happening in the run game particularly and be able to shoot a gap. And if somebody comes through there, woe be unto them. Uh, I have yet to find a clip where even though he's a little bit smaller, he's built like a brick house. And when he makes contact with you in the hole, you go backward. It doesn't matter if you're if you're Derrick Henry. You go backward. Um, and oftentimes the football goes flying. Uh, I just I really like that. how he plays the game. He's old yeah. school. I love that. I, I mean, because I did see a couple of clips uh, that I, I saw on Twitter, went up and went and looked at them uh, just to kind of get a feel for him. And you're absolutely right. Like he he's what we call uh, I do a lot of high school play by play for football stuff around here up in the triad. And he's what we would call a thumper. He, he, he likes to bring the thump. Like, I mean, that's kind of his calling card. And that was kind of missing really from uh, the Panthers that, you know, when Luke Keekley retired, we didn't really have a guy that was like a dog that could just go get it, like from the linebacking core. I like Shaq, but he's not really that. Um, and Jeremy Chen, I think, is going to be better suited at safety overall in the end. I think eventually he's going to get put back there um, to kind of save the wear and tear on his body. Um, and to piggyback on what you were saying about uh, Chen, I've kind of compared him a little bit to a smaller size Cam Chancellor in terms of That's he kind of – yeah, yeah, that he roams. He, he, there's really not a position he plays. It's really kind of a a, a, a freestyling kind of slash linebacker safety type role where he can stay on the field, you know, third down, fourth down, uh, and still contribute at a, at a high level. So uh, I like what they're doing. It feels like they're building around what they did last year in the draft and building around those pieces and the pieces they already had there with Brian Burns and whatnot. Um, the uh, Back to this mock uh, that we talked about before uh, Mel Kuyper currently has the Panthers trading with Miami for the third overall pick, the draft quarterback, Justin Fields from Ohio state. Now I was really high on Justin Fields after that Clemson, Ohio state semifinal. I was like, wow, this dude is probably playing with busted ribs and is destroying Clemson's defense right now. But then for some reason, like the next time I saw him against Alabama, I, I don't know. My mentality shifted on him or something. And it was really not even his fault. Like literally Ohio state, they played their national championship game against Clemson. Like they wanted Clemson since they lost to Clemson the year prior in the, in the national semifinal. So they built it up to you know, the, everything was for that game. And you could tell when they played Alabama. So they, they didn't play a very good game. It feels like fields has been all over the place in terms of the, 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 the draft mocks, and I feel like out of all the quarterbacks uh, out of these four or five that they're talking about, Fields feels like the one that may drop, like Aaron Rodgers style, like meteorically, like out of the top ten potentially. Between Fields or North Dakota State's Trey Lance, who the Panthers sent a lot of people to his pro day uh, a week or so ago, which would you rather see in a Panther uniform as the Panthers starting quarterback of the future and why? Uh, this is an easy answer for me. Uh, it would be Justin Fields. Uh, I would much rather see Fields in a Panthers uniform. I feel that he is more prepared for the speed of the professional game than Lance is. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I've seen far too many quarterbacks that come from the lower divisions of football that simply aren't what they appear as soon as they get put into an NFL atmosphere. Um, and those guys, um, certainly there are exceptions like McNair, um, but quite often it's a very huge adjustment period for them and i don't think that we're going to be very patient in carolina like for sure we could we could draft lance and we could sit him this entire season and play bridgewater but something something about our coaching staff something about our front office 
something about our owner tells me there's going to be a lot of impatience to get somebody who is not Bridgewater out on that field. And Fields, because of the level of football that he's played at, the competition he's played against and won against, um, I think he is more ready to contribute in the NFL right now. Um, Lance's numbers are obviously gaudy, but so are Fields. I mean, he has had some big games and had some big moments. Yes, they had a letdown against Alabama, but does one game an entire career make? Does does losing to Alabama suddenly make you a worse quarterback than some other options? I don't think so. I think Fields has more of the tools that I look for in an NFL quarterback than Lance does, um, and he has proven it against competition that is as close to NFL level as you can get. Um, sorry, that's my phone. It's okay. <laughs> um, he has proven it at a level as close to the NFL as you can get um, versus somebody like Trey Lance. Uh, so I'd much rather see Justin Fields in a Panthers uniform. You know, it's crazy, too, because, uh, you know, since he transferred to Ohio State, uh, Justin Fields is like 34 and two or something crazy like that in those two years. And those two losses were to Alabama and Clemson. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. I mean, what are we nitpicking here? Like when it comes to Justin Fields, uh, I'm kind of with you, although I have opened my mind to the the idea of staying at eight, uh, drafting Trey Lance at eight, if he's still sitting there and having him sit a year or start the year sitting behind Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe I should put it that way. So he can kind of learn the Brady offense and, you know, where to go and that kind of thing. And then ease him in. Although that the very same scenario could apply to Justin Fields. I just don't know if I want to trade up for any of these quarterbacks in this draft. Like I'm almost okay with staying at eight and just seeing what falls to us. Cause I, I, yeah. I just don't, I just don't think four quarterbacks are going to go in the first four picks. It just doesn't sound like it, something that would happen, you know? Right. It doesn't sound like something. It's never happened in the history of the NFL draft that I know of, at least. And I don't yeah. think it's going to happen now. Um, it, it sounds good because every, the, all the talk of the offseason has been about quarterbacks. And that's that's usually how the draft works, right? I mean, we're all focusing on these potential, the next great franchise quarterbacks, so to speak. It's usually how it goes every year. But there are plenty of people that with top 10 grades that could easily find their way into those earlier picks. I think anybody in the league would be extremely happy to draft Sewell the, at offensive tackle mm. with one of those early picks. Uh, and then you've got Pitts from Florida, who's probably going to be the next great tight end in the NFL. Uh, he that you know That'd be much earlier than a tight end usually goes in the draft, but he is an extremely talented individual. And tight end, definitely a, a position that the Panthers could use help at. Um, so... I mean, I see the I see both philosophies. I am usually not a fan of trading up. However, I think there's a good chance that next year that even if we have Bridgewater at quarterback, we're probably going to have an even better record than we had this year, almost certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to be in less of a position to get a quarterback next year, even though we probably would still have a need. So as much as I hate the thought of giving up a lot and trading up uh, five picks to get another to get a quarterback. Um, I feel like this might be our best chance for a while. I think we're building a strong team for the future here. And we've got, when you look at our success in the draft last year and you look at guys who have made an impact in year one and you've got to think, well, they're only going to get better and we've got them locked into rookie deals for another three or four years. Uh, our window is going to start opening very soon, which to me says we need to get that quarterback and we need to think about making ourselves competitive as soon as possible. 
it's a it's a tough decision. I don't envy uh, anybody in the in the in the room who has to make that final call. Uh, I think as a fan and as an analyst, I will understand either way we decide to go. Uh, Eric Summers here with me from Cat Scratch Reader. Uh, he is their editor in chief. Follow him on Twitter at Tater five nine six. Real quick before I get you out of here, Eric, uh, have to touch on it because the Panthers keep getting attached to it. Thoughts on the ever evolving Deshaun Watson situation? Um, I'm not even going to give a number out because it changes like constantly right now. And by the time I put this out, it might be out of date. Does it make sense for Carolina to continue to kick the tires on a trade still with everything swirling around the 25 year old Texan superstar quarterback? Absolutely not. I mean, it's unfortunate for him. Uh, it's going to take longer than the draft. It's going to take longer than all these other things that really are going to determine where he might be playing next season. Um, and of course, there are people saying that it's a giant conspiracy against him. But if you're the Panthers, it doesn't matter if it's a conspiracy or not. You cannot afford to put forth all the resources that you would have to to acquire Deshaun Watson, even if his price tag were slightly lowered right now because of this. Uh, you cannot stake the future of your franchise on somebody who has more than, you know, we don't know, the number keeps growing, but it's definitely more than a dozen uh, allegations against him like this. And it's even more, and this is not something people are really talking about, but it should be, um, our prior owner, had to step out of the organization and sell the team because of sexual misconduct. The lens on getting somebody like Deshaun Watson, if you're David Tepper, if you're the guy who's been billed as more progressive and the new owner setting things right with this organization, I just don't think you can be in play anymore. And I wouldn't sign off on it at this point. It's it's kind of wild when you think that, you know, just a month ago, that none of this was there and now we're, we're here and, and it's like, you know, nothing's been proven or confirmed or anything like that, but this, the stink of it is just going to be there for maybe the rest of his career. So yeah, it just seems kind of counterproductive at this point for the Panthers to continue to even be involved with anything with it, but stranger things have happened. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep uh, following that as the story goes along. Uh, Eric wanted to uh, say thank you for uh, coming in and uh, doing this with us today and getting us uh a little bit more enlightened on what's happened with the Panthers and their defensive free agency pickups. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. All right. And coming up next, more franchise players here on tobaccoroadsportsradio.com.